welcome to Bunta Vista episode 110. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Lucy and Theo in the big bed from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Um, we're in there. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm on one side. Lucy's in the middle, but we're we're top and tailing, obviously. Like obviously, the uncles and aunties, or whatever they were. Were they grandparents or were they aunties and uncles? Grandparents, right? Must have been. Otherwise, they're just fucking freeloaders. They should have been out. They are either way. Like the rest of them. I feel like mm. I really need Ben's expertise already on this episode. Hmm. On this Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mr. Chocolate. Uh, yeah, so because we're all, we're all sleepy. We're all sleepy all the time. Sleepy boys and girls. Sleepy boys and girls. Theo's got sleepy. his nightcap on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all folded <laughs> over. My little candle on a, ch- on a little saucer. Yep. Lucy's wearing a Long John's. Mm-hmm. Uh, neck to ankle. I would love some Long John's. They look cozy. I feel like Hawaii is going to be too warm. For long time. Not in Hawaii. Absolutely not. <laughs> Roasting uh, internally over here. Yep. Uh, toasting a marshmallow, sweating all the way through. Mm. All the way through your long johns. Just <laughs> trying a, to make some kind of point. It's a wet heat. It's, a, it's certainly a wet heat. <laughs> it is a wet heat. It's the humidity what gets you. What gets you. That's what I've heard. Mm. That's what I've heard from many places. Now, um... Does anybody have anything they need to get off their chest before we jump straight in to our first mm. segment? That sounds ominous. Um, yeah, a, our first segment <laughs> is an intervention. <laughs> oh, God. Why are all the chairs oh. arranged like this, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> They're all in a circle pointing inwards. Hmm. You want me to stand where? On the X, right in the middle of the circle? <sighs> well... Uh, we should get to it then because we have a segment that we haven't done in a long time. Long-time listeners of the show will be familiar um, with a segment entitled Boat Watch. Uh, now, Boat Watch was a long-running saga which involved the mayor of which town, Theo? Logan, uh, to Brisbane Logan. South. Mm-hmm. Um, when the mayor of Logan allegedly uh, accepted as a bribe a large boat, a luxury boat of some <laughs> kind. Um, and he went through the whole rigmarole of pretending that he didn't, and uh, it all ended in prison. But this has in turn led us to a recurring segment, uh, which I think we need to title Mayor Watch. Very similar. Very similar mm. theme. Almost One sounds the same to, to me. Mm, pick the difference, but... Let's just pitch it up a tiny bit. <laughs> just, <laughs> just speed it up a little. Um, so, And this is where we need to keep our eyes out for um, just the, the corrupt mayors of Brisbane, I guess. And Queensland in general. Which you'd think would be um, a once-off thing, but it turns <laughs> out it has not been over the last <laughs> several years. <laughs> Oh, so I saw, saw this piece about disgraced Ipswich Mayor, shout out to Ipswich, disgraced Ipswich Mayor, Paul Pisasale? <laughs> Pisasale. Yep. Got, got it in one. Certainly yep. it. First Smooth. take. Smooth. Uh, Paul Pisasale fell Pisa from Sale. a great height. <laughs> Please, Lucy, go on. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Continue. P- I think we nailed it. Probably, probably can move on. And <laughs> okay, anytime that Lucy is doing an Italian accent, it needs to be like an 85-year-old nonna's accent. It's going to be really soft-spoken. Yeah, it's a pizza salad. Uh, oh, uh, no. Mr. Pizza. <laughs> oh, your honor. Uh, anyway. He fell from a great height when he instigated a bizarre extortion plot involving a Chinese call girl, her former lover, and the suburban lawyer who abused his position as an officer of the court, a judge said yesterday. Hmm. What? Whom whom among us? Whom (laughs) among us has not been involved um, in a wild extortion plot? In in all of those things. Yeah, while also being the mayor of a town. Uh, Sentencing Pisazale to a year's jail, Judge Brad Farr of the Brisbane District Court told the 67-year-old that his record of community service and poor health had saved him from spending more time behind bars. 
always seems like everybody suddenly falls into poor, poor health when they're about to get sentenced, doesn't mm. it? Oh. Is that judge's <laughs> name Brad? Uh, Brad. Judge Brad. <laughs> judge Brad. <laughs> <laughs> judge Tyler, dude. <laughs> uh, dude, you messed up. <laughs> uh, the judge bangs his gavel and goes, not cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate it when the judge harshes my vibe by sentencing me to five to ten years in prison. Oh, Judge Brad. (laughs) Once celebrated as Queensland's most popular politician. Is this true, Theo? Who? John Pisale. Paul Paul Pisale. Oh, God. I hope not. Once celebrated as Queensland's most popular politician. Wow. he was a shadow of his former ebullient self as he stood ashen-faced and silent in the dock between escort Yushan Lee, 39, and solicitor Cameron James McKenzie, 37. All three had been convicted of extortion over a bid by Pizzazale posing variously as a telemarketer and private investigator to force Lee's former boyfriend to pay her up to $10,000 over their breakup. What? God. Why were you involved in this? How? There's there's a there's a series of um. What was what was that TV series that they kept making more of? Underworld. The Australian like crime series oh, was it called yeah. Underworld. Um, Underbelly. Underbelly. Yeah, Thank and there was like seventeen different offshoots and stuff. Yeah, mm. they did like one about bikers, and people went, "Oh, it's pretty cool." And because it's Australian TV, they went. Fuck, we got to milk this thing. Yeah. We got to make about a thousand of these. I feel like they've run off enough of them that maybe they could just do this one for a season. You know, this could be the Australian sure. version of that, like um, the people versus OJ Simpson kind of thing. <laughs> give, just give us just give us the, the one sentence synopsis again. What's that? What's that first line? So I can soak in all the details. Uh, was it the uh, he instigated a bizarre extortion plot involving a Chinese call girl, mm-hmm. her former lover, and mm-hmm. a suburban lawyer who abused his position as an officer of the court? Mm. Mm. Okay. That is just an Elmore it. Leonard storyline. Yeah, that's stuff. all that is. Uh, because of your high political profile, this case has generated much media publicity, uh, Judge Brad said, <laughs> sentencing Pizzazale to two years in jail, suspended after 12 months. Hence, your fall from grace has been a, from a great height and very public. That public shame is a matter of some limited relevance in the determination of appropriate sentence, dude. Uh, Lee, who followed the proceedings through a Mandarin-speaking court interpreter and interrupted the judge to say she had not meant to extort anybody, (laughs) (laughs) got 15 months jail time. Why does she get more? He did Hmm. the... Hmm. Suspended after seven months, while Mackenzie will serve half of an 18-month prison sentence. But for the unlucky coincidence for the trio that Queensland's Crime and Corruption Commission had been tapping Pizzazale's phone, Judge Brad said the extortion might never have come to light. Oh, yeah, okay. I think we've, we've got to the bottom of it now. It started when Pizzazale had sex with Lee. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Ah, that explains ah. so much. Ah, ah. Um, he had sex with her after they were introduced by a barrister friend of his, and she complained about her treatment at the hands of her ex-lover, Sydney taxi driver, Jin Lee. Aggrieved that she had travelled to Australia from Singapore for him, only to discover he was married, Yushan Lee wanted the man punished. Uh, Judge, <laughs> Judge Brad said that Yushan Lee failed to tell Pizzasale that she too was married when she poured her heart out to him. What? bunch of shady motherfuckers this is some reality tv shit they don't tell you at any point whether or not uh pizzazale himself uh was was married or had formally been married mm. uh so i'm not i'm not sure about that one because it this i'm gonna be honest with you it's this seems like the kind of thing that your wife would leave you over he sounds um, divorced. I'm getting divorced <laughs> vibes. <laughs> yeah. Getting some family court dad vibes That's now. right. 
Uh, his Wikipedia has been updated to say convicted extortionist. So, so this is what he did. Uh, the then mayor almost incomprehensibly phoned Mr. Lee in January 2017, pretending that he was conducting a health survey to confirm some details she had provided. Later, he called back posing as a private investigator to threaten Mr. Lee with a $200,000 lawsuit or exposure of the affair to his wife unless he paid $10,000. Now, does the article mention whether or not he was putting on different voices <laughs> Were there accents each time? involved? Uh, was little, one uh, high-pitched? Mm-hmm. Mm. Little, little comb over, over his nose with a little piece of paper. Was there a making racist the, accent involved? The, <laughs> oh, well. If there was, can we hear it? Oh, beautiful. Um, Judge Farr also said that Pizzazale persisted, even though he knew Yushan Lee had no entitlement to the money. She had flown to Australia on her own volition after Mr. Lee ended their relationship. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, boy. After they've already split up, she's like, I'm going to fly to another country and make this work. Uh, in an act of breathtaking hypocrisy, says Judge Brad, Pisazale even accused the man of blackmailing her. Ah, oh, it's a classic bit, Cla- isn't it? <laughs> classic. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. I think we can all agree. That's what that mm-hmm. expression means, right? It's the first time I've ever heard. Really? Turnabout mm-hmm. is fair play? You've never... No, I've never heard that one. Oh. You're making that up. Is it's- that like? A, is that a gross thing, Andrew? Like, there's grass on the field... Let's play. Is it like a <laughs> disgusting thing? I don't know why you took it there. It's much more along the lines of what's good for the goose is good well, for the could, gander. Well, it could be anything because this is literally the first time I'm hearing it. I don't think it's a real saying. It's. I it's, think you've invented this whole cloth. I have certainly not invented My this idiom. Goodness. <laughs> this proverb, if you will. Turnabout is fair play. Yes, which according to Wiktionary mm-hmm. is a proverb... Meaning it is yep. allowable to retaliate against an enemy's dirty tricks by using the same ones against them. All right. Anyone can yep. write a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a wild series of accusations here. I will not be extorted <laughs> into admitting that I made up a centuries old... You just plugged it Centuries into Centuries old proverb. That classic saying we've all been... I mean, I was just <laughs> saying it to Caitlin earlier. Look, turnabout is fair play. And she kind of nodded her head in recognition, mm, repeated it back at me. And she known, said, in fact. turnabout is, is whatever it is. So, Folks, please feel free it. right into the show mm-hmm. um, at heyyouguys at puntavista.com. Please let us know if you, a normal person with a regular brain, have ever heard the expression. Turnabout is fair play. Oh, while well, we're talking about normal stuff, is it normal to eat raw corn? Yeah, I think hmm. so. Because I got dragged for it this afternoon. Okay. Well, no, it's delicious. It's corn refreshing. corn in a can, like raw? Like on the cob. Oh, it can't be. No, yeah, on, on the cob. Oh, you've been in America too long, Lucy. I'm confused. They're both, corn, they're both good. Corn comes from a cob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean like that corn that grows in a can? You can just That's eat you, it straight <laughs> off the cob. Can you do that? Yeah, it's delicious. Of course you can. All it's right. so good. I'll give it's, it a go. Uh, I put it to you that um, that un uncooked uh, corn off the cob is the most refreshing way to oh, make it's corn. Oh, it's so good. It's great. Corn is just a top tier food. Oh, it's, it's so right good. up there, so isn't good. it? Mm. I want to make uh, watching a lot of um, Korean uh, YouTube cooking videos mm-hmm. as one does. Go as on. one does. And this person was making a rice dish where they like got a, a corn cob and then they cut all the corn off and they put that in a dish um, with rice in it and covered it with water and everything. But then they like rested the whole corn husk, like the whole cob itself um, in the water mm-hmm. and they did like absorption method rice but with the whole corn cob in there. Oh, that sounds good as hell. And it mm. would have I think it would have had a very nice corny taste to that mm. rice and corn. I and I want to try that. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's good stuff. I also hmm. highly recommend if you're into corn, trying um, Korean corn tea. Ooh. It's goddamn delicious. Huh. Just now, the the taste of hot corn. It's what we all love. Hmm. Um, now, Andrew, I actually, I looked it up just to just to double check. I thought I was going crazy because I thought, surely, 
surely it's not possible for both the Ipswich and the Logan councils to mm-hmm. both be sacked and for the Logan mayor to also be charged as well as the Ipswich mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all relatively normal, two relatively normal cities within mm-hmm. like stone's throw of where I am. Uh, but no, it, it actually happened. The entire, the... Um, the city council of Ipswich was fired uh, last year, which I think we talked about um, on the show, perhaps. Um, in a um, so, fifteen people were charged by the Crime and Corruption Commission, uh, including two former mayors, with a total of eighty-six criminal offences, including fraud, corruption, and extortion. Uh, and then in two thousand and nineteen, the Logan City Council was sacked, um, also by the Crime and Corruption Commission. Um, and uh, so it sounds like Brisbane is basically beset on all sides by criminals. No criminals in Brisbane, right? though. It's a it's good good place and requires no further investigation. <laughs> I would say. Well, did you know that um, the person who was the mayor before that in Ipswich, Andrew Antonioli, mm-hmm. um, is also a fraudster who yes. appeared in Ipswich Magistrates Absol- Court? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Apparently, that's that's just the... Oh, yeah, so he's the second former Ipswich mayor to be jailed for dishonesty offences in several weeks. Mm. I love that Ipswich mayors are just one consistent line of guys just saying, like, i got to be loyal to my capo, and then, like, being immediately <laughs> thrown in jail. That's how the term ends traditionally. That's all. <laughs> there's, there's no term limit. You're just in as long as you stay out of jail. Yeah, you're just in until you get done. All right, so back to Pisazale. Um, he then ramped up the pressure by enlisting Mackenzie, this is the lawyer that we, that we recall before, um, to send a letter of demand to Jin Lee for $8,400. Um, Judge Brad says, Dude, it seems to me you simply acted as requested to enable Pisazale's demand to take on an air of legitimacy. <laughs> God. Yikes. In jailing the solicitor. <laughs> I suspect you paid precious little thought of what you were doing. Uh, imagine the whole trial. <laughs> That's what <laughs> all courts in California are like. We can only assume. Um, oh, yeah. The judge said that he did not accept that Pisazale had been motivated by a, quote, misguided sense of justice to help the call girl. I hate when I'm spurred on by a misguided sense of justice. I like that the dude has just tried to make himself sound like, um, you know, the cop from Justified mm-hmm. or something. Mm. He's like, he he plays by his own rules, but he gets it done. Trying to make himself sound like Shaft out there <laughs> slapping a pimp, you know. But no. Uh, we do have a follow-up to this story, um, which is that the jailed Paul Pizzazale has been taken to hospital. Now, you may think to yourself... What happened? Did he mm. uh, did he get like beaten too savagely on his initiation into the gang of convicted mayors of Ipswich <laughs> when he arrived at jail? It's hard to get into that gang, man. Oh, my goodness. Um, but no. Uh, disgraced ex-Ipswich mayor Paul Pizzazale is off to a rough start behind bars after breaking his collarbone. Pizzazale, 67 who was sentenced to two years jail on Thursday for extortion, was taken by ambulance from Walston Correctional Centre on Sunday morning. Uh, He was treated at the Princess Alexandra Hospital. Um, He was attempting to do a chin-up. Oh, that's... (laughs) That's that's embarrassing. That's that's traumatic. I'm... Tried to do one chin-up and immediately broke his collarbone. I feel sorry for this guy now. That is... I mean, I could do a chin-up, but this guy's probably got it rough. So, RIP to deceased convicted former mayor of Ipswich, uh, Paul Pizzazale. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, Speaking of pieces of shit. Mm. Huh. So many of them out there in the world today. We like to talk about them on the show. Mm. Could be. Could be. But we have a very specific one. In the news today. Now, we've seen a lot of talk about, like, uh, Medicare for All coming out of the States, what with the Democratic primary leading up to the 2020 election. 
Mm. You watched uh, you watched the debates, Lucy? I did. I've been watching the debates. You've just been doing a bit of self-punishment there. I <laughs> really enjoy It's so good. They just make a year-long spectacle out of this. It's just incredible. It's so weird. It's incredibly weird. I love that they also always have to include a couple of guys that are clearly there just to be dunked on. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> they're they huge eggheads. They're horrible. Wild cards in there. Soft faces, just <laughs> <laughs> miserable up there. All the guys who are somehow on stage, despite like polling at zero percent, they're there for the that's entertainment. What? It's incredible. I, I, lo- I love that John Delaney was just a guy that no one had heard of with hundreds of millions of dollars until he decided to get up to, on the stage and have his head just fucking dunked through <laughs> through a hoop like over and over again by every single person on on that stage wonderful it is beautiful stuff who's your favorite lucy my actual favorite oh give us your your actual favorite and your ironic favorite oh what's the guy's name he looks like huckleberry hound i can't is that <laughs> no, John Delaney, the guy. The guy, the guy no, looks there's like there's another guy. He has a really sad cartoon voice. Oh boy, <laughs> it's not Hick and Looper. Cartoon voice, democratic <laughs> candidate. <laughs> Normal Google search term, right Let's put there. Put that into Duck Duck Go. Seeing what roll the dice. Yep. You know what? Actually, it hasn't given me the answer. It came up with Beto, which is that's not correct. No. Beto is a bit of a sad character, though, at this point. He's he's not doing so good. Hmm. Um, so, you know, they're, they're all talking about Medicare for All, and it's very interesting to see, like, all of the shit that comes out of people at the debates when they're saying things like, hey, don't you dare try and break people's precious, deeply personal relationships with their insurance companies, who they love and treasure. Yeah, this is a really, like, strong argument that they're having is about whether Americans want to keep their shitty insurance. Whether, whether people like having to deal with, a, with an insurance company? They like it. Mm-hmm. And, and the, obvious, the obvious, like, semantics that are at play here is that when people say, we will have Medicare for all and we'll have a single-payer system, um, like in Australia, like with Medicare, where... You just you go to the hospital or you go to a bulk billing GP, and at the end they say, "Thank you, you can leave now," um, because you don't have to have private health insurance. And people take that as saying, "Okay, so because you don't have to have private health insurance anymore, your health insurance is being taken away from you," and they're putting it to people in terms that make it sound like you will be left without any form of, like, medical cover for anything. Mm. Um, Extremely disingenuous argument and way of putting it and all that sort of stuff. And it makes you say, hey, uh, we got a pretty nice deal here in Australia. You can go to a doctor and get helped out and they say, go and buy your $10 medicine or whatever. Obviously, things could be a lot better for some people when it comes Mm -hmm. to things like, you know, Medicare not covering uh, dentistry and... Like more more serious mental health treatment and that sort mm. of stuff, but if if you want to compare it with like the states or whatever, we're doing pretty. Yeah, well. we we have a baseline of being alive and staying alive, which is yeah. you know which is reasonably nice. You know, you don't want to, I guess, you don't want to exclude you know situations in rural Queensland and uh, you know um, th- those sorts of things, which you know obviously we could be doing a, a lot a lot better. But there is you know at least some baseline for. Most people in in Australia, yeah. So um, so w- wait though. You're you're telling me that it, it looks pretty good, but what if someone could come up with an even better solution to our whole issue with having Medicare and it being good? What if someone could fix that problem? Mm. <laughs> what if someone could finally sort that out for us? So um. We take here this article. I think it was from the ABC. Who knows? Uh, the head of one of Australia's biggest health insurers. Have you read this article, Lucy? Mm-mm-mm. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. And, and what a head, I might say. Please, please enjoy this then. The head of one of Australia's biggest health insurers has called on the government to abolish Medicare 
and make private health insurance compulsory, with the government paying the premiums of those unable to meet the costs themselves. (laughs) What a grift. (laughs) What a great idea. And it's not self-motivated in any way. It's like, hey, I've noticed that uh, you guys are just paying the providers directly and... Where do we get on on this action? I'm not. I'm not seeing any money over here. Yeah, Where's my I, kickback? Hey, hey. In a radical solution to the growing <laughs> crisis facing private health funds, Mark Fitzgibbon, managing director of NIB, said his proposal would protect the most vulnerable while allowing the private sector to flourish without competition from Medicare, oh, which he boy. called a government monopoly. Oh, that's a that's a wild take on Medicare. <laughs> How dare you monopolize um, taking care of people without charging them tens of thousands of dollars for the privilege? Yeah. Now, Lucy, you might be thinking to yourself, Fitzgibbon. That mm. name sounds kind of familiar for a high-profile Australian individual. It does. Um, it turns out that Mark Fitzgibbon is the brother of Joel Fitzgibbon, an Australian politician and Labour Party member of the House of Reps. Um, Remember how Joel Fitzgibbon used to be the Defence Minister? And then he had to resign in disgrace from being the Defence Minister for some reason? Oh, it's that guy. Well, how about this? Uh, From December 2007 to June 2009, uh, Joel Fitzgibbon was the Minister for Defence in the first Rudd Ministry. He resigned from Cabinet in June 2009 following a series of controversies. Mr. Fitzgibbon resigned his defence portfolio after revelations that an army general was instructed to attend meetings with the minister's brother, Mark Fitzgibbon, (sighs) the head of Health Fund NIB at which defence health contracting was discussed. Fitzgibbon admitted that he had breached the ministerial code of conduct and resigned. Of course, he didn't have to actually... Like quit the party or mm, just some quality Labor Party behavior. Yeah, he just got bumped out of his about out of his ministry, um, as is the way with Australian political parties because they suck shit. So coming back to what um, what Mark Fitzgibbon would like to see happen with this horrible system that we have that really has its boot to the neck of us, all of us, heads of major private insurance health funds in this country. He says, the little guys, that just the little guys, the little guys out there running the biggest health fund in the country, which we're all doing in our own way. He says, a sensible policy approach, <laughs> big asterisk over sensible, just that. A sensible policy approach would be to make private health insurance compulsory for all Australians with taxation devoted to subsidizing the premiums for those who would otherwise be left behind. That is, high-income earners would at one end of the scale pay the entire premium, while at the other, those with low income would be fully subsidized, Mr. Mr. Fitzgibbon writes in an op-ed in the Australian Financial Review. My eyes just flash. My my life's just flashing before my eyes. Kind of disassociating with that sentence. <laughs> so what, what if we had brained, some, sort, some sort of system where everybody put into a big bucket and if you earned more, you put it more in and those that didn't earn so much, they put less in and then we pay for their health care. What if such a system never thought of before presented here as an original idea existed? <sighs> Sounds like communism. <laughs> no, no, but see, uh, communism's when you've got uh, two layers, and that's the healthcare that's providers on the bottom and the government on the top. Mm. Whereas what he's proposing is a very robust capitalist three-layer system. We've got the government on top and the healthcare providers on the bottom, and then in between, in between, the value makers. They're just the guys that are making the economy work, and their mm. job is to pass money from the top to the bottom. God and bless them. God, God bless them. And look, they work so hard. They do such a good job. Why? Why don't they deserve just a little bit? You know, if they take if just they a take crumb. ten, if they take ten crumbs from the top, maybe they pass only seven down. <laughs> 
Don't they deserve three crumbs? Don't they deserve most of the crumbs? Don't they deserve 100% of the crumbs for mm. from wealthy Australians? Mm-hmm. And also 100% of the crumbs from poor income Australians? So I feel like this, this analogy breaks down. Because if you look at this dude's photo, he's never eaten in his life. <laughs> apart from perhaps oil. Um. Now, if you are a long-time listener of the show, you will remember us talking about former... Oh, no. Wait. Is is Malcolm Roberts a senator again? Uh, no. He's not. I believe is he? He? he is. I feel oh, like he is. Fuck. I was going to say former senator, but... God former again senator. God damn it. On again, off again, senator. On again, off again, senator. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, you may remember us talking about, uh, him and his face and him having that particular look of like, um, uh, someone who's been isolated on a desert planet in outer space and has slowly had his mind erased by endless rays from the sun, his mm-hmm. irises bleached to a pale, pale blue. Uh, that's exactly the face this Mark Fitzgibbon guy has. Yep, but he will greet you with a smile. Mm. Mm. As he reaches out his hand, which goes straight past your outstretched hand and into your mm-hmm. pocket for some reason. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Mark continues. Uh, he claims that this would address an impending affordability crisis springing from the aging of the population as the number of people working as the number of people of working taxpaying age falls in proportion to the number of aging and increasingly sick retirees. Now, I notice that he doesn't specify what the issue, like what the affordability crisis actually is, whether it's about the country being able to afford to take care of people or whether the affordability crisis is the crisis of people being unable to afford increasingly expensive private health insurance premiums. Mm. Because they seem like they need to be treated with different levels of urgency, just just from my point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Fitzgibbon's potentially divisive suggestion, potentially, you know, everybody out there who's like, I fucking hate Medicare. I hate it when I break my leg and go to hospital and they just take care of me and I leave. Yeah, I hate it when I go into the doctor's office and they're like, oh, we've bulk billed that for you, sir. I go, no, you fucking take that. Back. You charge hey. me. Piece of shit. I'm going to pay for it out of my own pocket, cash preferably, so no tax goes to the government. I hate it when I have two children um, and the whole experience is fine and I don't have to pay a cent. It's the worst. It sucks. Uh, so his potentially divisive suggestion comes on the heels of a report from think tank, the Grattan Institute published last week, which described the private health insurance industry as being in a, quote, death spiral. (laughs) As younger people... Oh, Oh, no. As younger people abandon the increasingly expensive private market. Between December 2016 and December 2018, the report found the number of 20 to 29-year-olds with hospital cover had fallen by 8%. Uh, Quote... Governments have failed to clearly define the role of private health insurance since Medicare was introduced in the 1980s. The upshot is we have a muddled healthcare system that is riddled with inconsistencies and perverse incentives, the report, uh, co-authored by former Health Department Secretary Stephen Duckett, said. The Grattan Institute argued that the government had two options, to either abandon inequitable subsidies such as the 30% premium rebate entirely, or subsidize the private sector as a genuine alternative to Medicare. While not explicitly taking a position, the report's arguments were weighted towards abolishing government subsidies, oddly enough. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it's almost like this is another one of these industries that is only able to survive because they just uh, lobby right-wing governments to, to completely hmm. subsidize Weird. their way of life. Hmm. That's communism. So, um, we'll, we'll interject here just to read the room, because around the time this article was happening, a uh, journalist from, what is she from, the New Daily, Samantha Maiden, uh, just tweeted, um, my private health rant, at what point do we admit that this is an insane scam? I'm happy to pay more tax, or for private health insurance if it's worth it, but the current system is a joke. 
Does anybody have good experiences with private health? Please reply below. <clears throat> and it's pretty safe to say that the replies are almost exclusively people saying private health in Australia is a great big load of shit. Hmm. Sure is. Uh, Gabriel Jackson from The Guardian says, um, nobody has a good experience with private health. The more you pay for it, the more you have to fork out every time you use it. It's a massive scam, more so than any other country's private health insurance. We should scrap it immediately. There's a reason that insurance company Bupa makes half of its worldwide profits in Australia. Holy moly. Hmm. Um, Aaron Turner says, uh, good, and good is in scare quotes, good experience here in that treatment for my endometriosis took 12 plus months in the public system, just a few weeks in private, but with some impressive out-of-pocket costs. For me, being out of the private health insurance system is as unappealing as being in it. So this is like one of the only good reviews is for someone to say this thing that is not like, you know, this sort of edge case that is not properly funded by the public system. I could only get it treated in a reasonable amount of time through the private health insurance system, but I had to pay private health insurance premiums all year and then I had to pay excess and then I also had to pay tons of out-of-pocket costs myself. Mm -hmm. um, just to get seen to. So again, that's not actually an argument for for having private health insurance. It's an argument for stopping subsidizing the industry and just putting that money into Medicare where it actually belongs. Yeah, absolutely. You can't just you can't just point at like an um, a hole that we've allowed to develop and, and fall through to the public to the private health system and go, look, see, the public health system's failing because. We made that hole in the first place, right? We we chose to treat um, stuff like like endometriosis and and uh, dental cover, especially um, as something that's like not as important as something you might show up to the ER in. And imagine if you took all that money that you're paying just filtering through to the private health in uh, industry and use that to beef up cover for everybody, so that you're not left with this weird you know sophie's choice of do i throw away all of my money to see whether it actually gets covered in the first place or or not you know uh assuming that i can get seen earlier i mean it's just a it's it's not a good or clear system to anybody i don't feel like and i ended up like i know that the anecdotal stuff is not data but i i went into private health insurance to get my my teeth done right because i've got mole well i had um wisdom teeth that go at like 90 degrees if you want to get through that that done through the public health system you're waiting a very long time so i, I rang up the fucking scamsters at um uh so i direct what's that they had that big advertising campaign and they'd be like put put you onto the oh, right yeah, yeah. right health insurance so One of those i select things. i select and they're like yes this is the health insurance you need for your teeth and i went with them for a whole year and I got to the end of it, and uh, they're like, yep, great, we'll book you in. Get your shit done. Um, I had, like, four wisdoms come out. I had, like, you know, jawbone taken away. Um, not a great time. And I get out, and I'm like, cool, uh, I'd like my money back now, please. And they said, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh how much of it did they cover you for? So they paid for the hospital bed, which was like 500 bucks, uh, which, you know, again, we should be fortunate that we have a private system that competes with the public, sorry, a public system that competes with the private system because, you know, $500 for a hospital bed is not very much at all. And that is because we have, you know, hospital beds in the public system. Um, but they paid that $500 uh, and not a cent for the surgery because... Um, wisdom tooth extraction is minor dental. What? And <laughs> so, you know, if anyone has private health insurance in Australia, you know, minor dental, they give you enough to go to the dentist twice a year, which is about $200 or something like that. Yeah, it's not uh, much. And, they, and I'm like, well, uh, you've got to be kidding me. And they said, uh, no, we're not. And I didn't get my money back. I was out of pocket yep. like two grand. Love it. Love private health. It's so good. Well, I'm looking at a few more of these stories here. Uh, Edwina Bartholomew says, I didn't realize that I had to upgrade my private health insurance 12 full months before even getting pregnant 
So I'm giving birth in a public hospital. Um, obstetrician told me it makes absolutely no difference. I've been a private customer my entire life and they wouldn't budge. <clears throat> um, Angie Ab- Adamson here says, no, um, after gaps of $3,500 over two surgeries where they paid about $800 of the fees, I pissed it off. The final straw, I thought. I thought I was saving Medicare by going private, but no, they claim your Medicare benefits for you. It's a good system. Seems to be yeah. working. So they're even taking money out of the public system to do wow. that. So even if you think to yourself... And and that's the argument that a lot of people make. Like that that was the that was the argument when some of these subsidies were brought in under John Howard was always like, well, you know, if you're if you're of an adult age and you are of the means to be able to afford public health insurance, you should pay it because like people people like to kind of position it as this thing of you're doing the right thing as a citizen, as a member of the public by paying for private health insurance because you're taking the burden off the public system. But you're not actually doing that because the private health insurance companies make a claim on your behalf to Medicare anyway, max out the amount of money that they can get out of that and then charge you money on top of it. Whereas if you had have just gone to hospital... And like like you were saying about, um, about dental surgery and stuff, Theo, like... I've I've never had private health insurance because I've always been like, well, when I've needed to go to hospital for something, I've gone to hospital and it's been fine. And, you know, every every 10 years when one of my teeth just falls out, um, I go to the dentist and I get a couple of rounds of stuff done and they charge me, you know, what, whatever, 300, 400 bucks a, a trip to do, you know, fairly major stuff. And I have to do that a couple of times. But all of that is still less than paying insurance premiums for oh, a yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, across across my life where I haven't paid for private health insurance for, like, 25 years, um, like, yeah, all, all of that time I could have been spending money into fucking private health insurance and getting nothing back out of it. Yeah. And the thing is, like, my, <laughs> um, my, my dentist is always fond of telling me that, you know, Health insurance companies exist to make money, right? So they are they they operate on the concept that um, if you pay in, you know, a hundred bucks, then they should only pay out ninety, right? Um, and in other countries, you know, maybe America is probably a better better thing to talk about. But like, the they exist as a risk pool where you're in this you're in this huge risk pool, right? And so, if you get totally fucked up, then you, you know, um, you'll come out ahead. But that's not the way that it that it operates so much in Australia, where where we push off um, a lot of the um, voluntary stuff, um, a lot of the stuff that can wait. Uh, you know, that people people love to talk about knee surgery for fu- some fucking reason, and <laughs> knee surgery is like the the example, right? Because it takes you a very long time to see, get seen in the public system, but you don't need to get your knee looked at, right? So that's so as far as a risk pool goes, the risks are already dif- diffuse because the the public sector operates the emergency rooms, right? The public se- yeah. so if you you won't go into an ER in Australia and come out with a $100,000 bill, right? Like, you know, as we've talked about several times in the show, we've all got, you know, experiences of going in. You know, I've had, you know, been so horribly sick that I have to go into hospital and they keep me overnight and then at the end you you walk out. And so the reason, the, the whole reason for being in a risk pool diminishes drastically and especially because we we provide services for um for the elderly as far as you know those things that we've been talking about that that haven't been covered so well you know we provide dental services for the for the elderly in the in the public system and they're quite good um and those are the kind of um risk pools that they talk about in america and in australia just doesn't exist because we we again we take care of we mostly you know take care of that of that baseline. So what's the point? Imagine how many votes Labor would have got if they'd said we're expanding Medicare to include dental. It's such a simple thing. It's such a simple thing and it's like it's such a weird thing to say, well, 
some people can go without dental or like someone joked about on, on Twitter, you know, um, the government kind of looks at teeth like luxury bones <laughs> that are optional. But it's like the one thing that you can look at and say, well, if you don't go to the dentist today, it's going to be more fucked up tomorrow. Yeah. Right. So it just pushes off and it's, and it makes the cost go up, right? The cost of, oh, yeah, of yeah. getting a, um, a, a scale... Uh, scale and clean at six months versus getting a filling at a year versus getting a root canal at two years because you haven't been to the dentist because you can't afford private health insurance. It's just increasing the amount of money that we flush down the drain as a society. And if you just covered it at a reasonable level in the public system for you know everybody then we wouldn't have that issue and we, and we would come out ahead, you know, fuck at the economy as far as like the amount of dollars going in. It's just wasted money. But that's an incentive in the private model, right? Like in the private model, you want to spend as much money as you, or you want to get as much money from people doing diagnostics that don't need to be done, mm-hmm. work that doesn't need to be done necessarily. Um, because those are the things that generate you more more money right an mri is a is a money printing machine and all of those it's all just lost productivity it's all just sapped from the economy and and fed to places that it doesn't that doesn't need to be so to to compare as is quite often the case the the costs of doing healthcare in the private industry versus the the cost of doing it without a profit motive is just totally pointless Right, because things become so much cheaper in medical cover specifically when there is no profit motive. Well, hold on. Mm. What if we hear Mr. Fitzgibbon out? Mm, please. <laughs> Do we have to? Well, he's, he's about to make the whole thing make sense. Ah. Here we go. Mr. Fitzgibbon said that abandoning subsidies would immediately add 30% to the cost of insurance premiums which is the amount currently met by the government's health insurance rebate at a cost of $6 billion a year, leading to an exodus from private health funds and rocketing Medicare costs. Well, if only we had about $6 billion to pay for that. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Um, Naturally, that would hurt the sector, he said, but the other big consequence is all these people would fall back on the public system, which, again, we might consider using our own money to pay for. Hmm. Instead of using all these taxpayer dollars just to prop up your fucking insurance premiums. Mr. Fitzgibbon put the cost of abolishing the rebate to Medicare at around $15 billion, though he did not say how he arrived at that figure. (laughs) (laughs) While, now this is the bit that gets me. While Mr. Fitzgibbon, um, I I keep feeling like doing the the stupid resistance Twitter insult, Mr. Mr. Shitzgibbon. (laughs) (laughs) Put the cost of abolishing the rebate to... Oh, wait, we already said that. While Mr. Fitzgibbon accepted his proposal would be politically divisive, he rejected the suggestion that the life and death nature of healthcare was an argument against privatization. Hmm. Life Hmm. and death nature of healthcare. Amazing. Rejected the suggestion that the life and death nature of healthcare was an argument against privatization. Quote... I don't know why health insurance is any more life and death than the food we eat and the homes we live in, and we don't make that a government monopoly, he told the Financial Review in a God, separate I, interview. I love I love whatever you call this. Oh, he's so close. So, just circling, circling around the point there. It's almost like we have government housing, uh-huh. and we have a social safety net for if you can't afford food. Mm-hmm. It's almost like those things should be better funded than they are. Oh, in this proposal, people still get healthcare. It's just that rather doing it through a social government-run insurance system, they do it through a private system. So healthcare doesn't disappear, he said. Yeah, I'm sure that um, once, I'm sure that once like uh, the government is no longer funding Medicare and it's 100% private insurance that the government is paying for. I'm sure that the premiums will just stabilize and stay at a nice, healthy price point. That's how uh, it works. Once, the, once they have a 100% captive market. They'll go down, as is classically the, ch- the case, I think. He denied that his radical proposal was evidence of an industry in a death spiral. 
insisting that under current rules, his business was doing well. Yeah, the current rules are that you get 30% of your shit subsidized. Um, so, great big debt spiral. And of course, all of this came up again in an article a little later in the week. Uh, baby's brain tumor highlights nightmare experience with private health insurance. Uh, from the ABC, Kylie Catterick's son Josh was just four and a half months old when she realized something was wrong and took him to hospital. It turned out he'd been born with a brain tumor, she told 7.30. Within 12 hours of taking him up to the hospital, he was in critical condition. The Catterick's had private health insurance with NIB and thought that the cost of treatment was something they would not have to worry about. They were a nightmare, Miss Catterick said. We didn't go private when Josh was first transferred to Randwick Children's Hospital. We just went through the public system. But when he transferred back to Canberra Hospital, we tried to go private in a public hospital and they denied our claim straight up. They found that their mid-level hospital cover would not be enough. We hadn't specified neurosurgery on our policy, Miss Catterick said. I mean, who thinks about new neurosurgery for a four-month-old? Mark Fitzgibbon is the managing director of Miss Catterick's old health insurer NIB, the fourth largest health insurer in the country. He said the people are looking at health insurance the wrong way. It's not there as a savings plan, he told 7.30. You shouldn't be thinking about how much I put in versus how much I get out. It's literally it's- what it's for, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Just this whole idea of like, my God. It's there to protect you in the event of misadventure or serious disease or accident. We exist to pay claims, he says. Sounds like you're paying this claim. (laughs) In this article of uh, a series of articles of people saying... I pay thousands and thousands of dollars a year for private health insurance and they don't fucking pay for anything. I hate it when I forgot to tick the neurosurgery box on my extras cover, Mm. you know? I hate it when I get insurance for my child and I don't tick the thing that is killing my baby box. Should have ticked the box. Should have ticked it. Uh, Huge prick. Giant piece of shit. Uh, and of course, they allude to the article we were just talking about. He recently proposed a radical shake-up of the way health is funded, arguing Australia would be better off if universal Medicare was replaced with compulsory private health insurance. My idea is, said the huge dickhead, I should be able to opt out of Medicare, take the pressure off the public system. But you're saying there should be no public system, not take the fucking pressure off it. Take the pressure off the public system and taxation as a funding mechanism and take care of my own lifetime health care costs. I believe I should have that option, he said. We love options, don't we? We love options. We love the option to uh, not get our baby's neurosurgery paid for. I love it. Mm. I love love just complicated forms. Mm. Just going through, like, will my baby die of this? Hmm, I... Better make an informed choice as a giant knucklehead who knows nothing about uh, medicine because that's not my fucking job. I like having the best of both worlds, which is getting to pay for health insurance, but also not having it cover my baby's neurosurgery. It's ideal. And also the hospital hospital costs as well. It's just ideal. I think if you want to sign up for for hospital cover... Um, but don't want your hospital care to be covered, maybe check out NIB. NIB Insurance, guys. That's the Bunter seal of approval. Uh, Lucy, do you have a funny joke for what the acronym NIB stands for? Anything? Mm. Trying to think of a gag here. Uh, 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 non-insuring buttheads. Am I right? <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Good work, everybody. Mm. Good, good job. Um, if you are in the situation of, of requiring health insurance, um, a thing that is not very well advertised is that the government actually provides services for which you can go on online. Uh, you can just Google um, government health insurance comparison. And they will actually show you year on year which insurers pay out the most per dollar um, spent 
on there and mm. they will do a complete comprehensive kind of comparison on there. Don't pay um, or don't the, – the selection guys don't don't get paid by you, but obviously they're taking from the premiums of the place that you're sign, signing up for. Don't give money to those parasites. Uh, just go and, go and look at it yourself. You can find it online. Hmm. Um, and so we we cross now to a story of medical research with a happy ending. Mm, that's one. That's one way to put it. Uh, in an article here on Seven News titled "Woman's Body Sold by Research Group to U.S. Army to Use for Quote Blast Training." <laughs> Don't laugh. It's not funny what it's happened not, to somebody. It's not funny. <laughs> somebody's nonna. It's oh, I not can't, funny. I can't deal with this one. The son of an elderly woman whose body was donated for scientific study was mortified to <laughs> mortified to find out it was allegedly used for quote blast training by the U.S. Army. <laughs> Doctors wanted to study. The great-grandmother's brain to find out uh, how the Alzheimer's gene may have mutated, to which uh, her son Jim consented and donated her body to the Biological Research Center. Two days later, he claimed to have received a wooden box with a, quote, majority of her ashes, (laughs) and no explanation of what kind of study she would undergo. It's not funny. He says... He says he learned years later what happened to his mother when Reuters exposed the company for allegedly selling a number of the bodies to the U.S. Army for testing explosives and their impact on the human body. I feel foolish, he said. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't tick the box. You didn't tick the don't explode my nana box. Don't explode my grandma. Uh, He says... (laughs) He says she was supposedly strapped in a chair on some sort of apparatus and a detonation took place underneath her to basically kind of get an idea of what the human body goes through when a vehicle is hit by an IED. Jesus Christ. No good. This is the... No good. It's not funny. This is... You remember the grandma that they were rescuing by helicopter spinning around... (laughs) That video killed me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she she finally safely recovered from that and died of natural causes, and then this happened to her. This is my... This is my feeling. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Oh. Like, I as soon as they, they talk about the big strap to a chair and a thing going off underneath, my I immediately get, like, um in my head, the image of, like, the Mythbusters slow motion oh, video. Can't, you can't avoid it, can you? Like, <laughs> you can't help but think of it. Um, now, I, will, I will point out, um, sorry, Andrew, that oh, the, um, the CEO of the Biological Re- Resource Centre is named Stephen Gore. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gore or Dr. Gore? Oh, Stephen Dr. to Gore. his friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I think I'll read all those Wikipedia articles about the times that they try and blow up whales. <sighs> oh, dear. Calm oh. myself down. Now, just to really put a capper on the medical through line here, just before we wrap it up, Lucy, do you have time mm. for a quick installation of Paging Dr. Lucy? I, I sure. <laughs> Play that theme, Good baby. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> you okay, Theo? <laughs> it's not funny. None of this is funny. You shouldn't be laughing. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Ahem. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Now we got a we've got we got one here. Okay, relationship advice. We want a serious answer to this, Lucy. Mm. 
moving on from the serious grandma blast. The also serious things we've been talking about. Uh, 26-year-old female. My 30-year-old boyfriend is a wealthy, well-educated, completely normal man. Mm-hmm. We've been dating for eight months. Comes from a wealthy family, private school, Ivy League, Ivy Law School. He, he works for a bank already. right now. Mm-hmm. He got very high a few nights ago and told me a very long story about how when he was in boarding school in Switzerland, age 16 or 17, he met a man that was 400 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wasn't telling a joke. He wasn't trying to be funny. He sounded scared telling me and said he has never told anyone before. I'm not even joking like he was almost in tears telling this story as if he was admitting to murdering his mother. Oh my God. The next day, uh, he was completely normal and I don't even know if he remembers telling me. He's a completely normal guy, and honestly, he's never mentioned being into vampires. He doesn't really even watch movies. Should I bring this up with him sober? It's been a few days, and I feel awkward about it. Or should I just forget all about it? So, um, my boyfriend confessed that he met a vampire while he was very high. Should I ask him about it when we're sober? Wow. Are you just well, assuming just that it's a yourselves- vampire? Did he say it was a vampire? It sounds like she's saying that that he, he thinks he met an immortal Nosferatu of a man. How could you just let this go? Oh, I couldn't. Like, cause I would wake him up the next day and be like, all right, <laughs> more Let's go. details. Let's go. Get it going. I'm showing you uh, pictures of vampires from different movies to see which one he was most mm-hmm. like. Does he look more like this guy? <laughs> so you absolutely would not let it go? Oh, definitely not. I don't even think that's grounds for a breakup. <laughs> like, you have to stay together now. You need to get to the bottom of this. My goodness. I believe it. <laughs> what do you think, Theo? Oh, man. I mean... Caitlin gets really high one night. <laughs> And she fearfully tells you about the time that she was a teenager and she met a vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as a teenager, I feel like maybe your credibility sort of starts to slide. I don't know. I th- in, in Switzerland, did he say? Mm-hmm. Boarding I- school in Switzerland. Well, that does lend credibility to it. Cool. Really does. <laughs> Got a lot of funny accents up there. That's true. I mean, really, for me, the only way you can tell is revisit the scene. Yeah, maybe stop gaslighting your boyfriend about it, you know? Book two tickets to Switzerland, baby. Get out there. Believe men. Hmm. (laughs) Find Nosferatu. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Lead your girlfriend to Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, I think for me it's just the it's just the teenager part. It's the it being like half of somebody's lifetime ago that makes me think like have have we all met somebody who's like told you a story one day about the time they saw a ghost and you realize halfway through that they're actually serious and it mm. fucking sucks. Yeah. I've had a handful of these conversations, and there's no bueno for me. Because I start off laughing at them, and then they make clear that they no, they really did see a ghost one time. And for some reason, it's almost always like uh, I was fifteen in my grandparents' spooky old house mm. or whatever. It's always like some heightened uh, thing. It's always when someone's like a teenager or younger. Going back to some point where your memory is going to be shitty and unreliable. Um, and I, I I, don't know. It always comes off to me like somebody who thought they saw a thing one time. And instead of just going, well, that obviously didn't happen. They've instead decided to just like hang on to and internalize this thing and convince yeah. themselves that this was a very... They've sought it in their memory incorrectly. Hmm. Mm. Unless um, unless it was a Bigfoot, in which case, probably real. Probably, definitely real. Probably real. Mm. Uh, canonically real, as far as this show is concerned. Bigfoot. 
The uh, the gentle wood ape, or the gentle giant, or Sasquatch. Sasquatch. <laughs> Sasquatch. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm out in the woods looking for Sasquatch. That's me, uh, folks, looking for Sasquatch. Well, I feel like we've solved all of the world's problems by yelling at the insurance man. You're so smart. So smart. We're really smart. Big old oh. brains on us. Oh, fucks. If you want to hear twice as many smart opinions, head over to patreon.com forward slash Vista. Sign yourself up for some bonus treat episodes. Uh, they're like little candies or schmackos if you were a dog. A little extra Just treat for your week. Just a little, little snacky of audio, mm-hmm. you know? All that kind of stuff. So... That'll do us. That'll do us for the week. Mm. We've got a crime pass. Crime pass is to s- slash uh, Mark Fitzgibbon's tires on sure. his undoubtedly ridiculously expensive car. Oh, Commit health insurance fraud. There's that too. <laughs> what was yours, Lucy? Oh, uncheck the little box that says that when he donates his body to science, that it won't <laughs> be donated to the U.S. military. <laughs> yeah, should make him full, come full circle because he looks like he was invented in the U.S. military. <laughs> he certainly does. Beautiful. All right, that's it, folks. Enjoy Thank your you. weeks. <laughs> Enjoy your beautiful weeks. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.